Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to source for medical information and clinical education. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ryan Maddox, who is an epidemiologist at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. He and his team recently conducted a study on the incidence of prion disease in the United States between 2003 and 2015. Dr. Maddox joins us today to delve into the results of his study, as well as discuss prion disease in general. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Maddox. Let's dive in. To start, can you tell us more about your study and its findings? Sure. Um, So as you know, I work at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, Specifically, I'm in the Prion and the Public Health Office. And one of our main responsibilities is national surveillance for human prion diseases. Uh, These diseases are always fatal, and most cases actually die within one year of illness onset. Uh, So we found that death certificate data are a valuable source of information. However, uh, there are limitations to these data. Uh, For example, uh, analysis of brain tissue is the gold standard for diagnosis, but results from these analyses may not be available at the time a death certificate is completed. So what we've found over the years is that we can more accurately estimate prion disease incidence in this country by combining the death certificate data with the results of diagnostic testing. And as it turns out, CDC helped establish the National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center, or NPD-PSE, at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland in the 1990s. And the goal of that center was to provide state-of-the-art prion disease diagnostic services. The reason that we helped establish this center was in response to the identification of the human prion disease variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease which, as you may know, resulted from exposure to cattle products that were contaminated with bovine spongiform encephalopathy, more commonly known as mad cow disease. So CDC has an ongoing partnership with this center, and that allows us to have access to their valuable database of diagnostic test results. So what we do is we add previously unidentified cases to the death certificate data based on a positive autopsy from NPD-PSE. At the same time, a negative autopsy result from the center may lead to removal of a case that was previously identified as dying of a prion disease in the death certificate data. So it actually goes both ways. We add some cases, we subtract some cases, and that's how we get an estimate of the prion disease incidence in this country. Great. Let's talk a little bit more about your findings. Specifically, among your findings was that more than 5,200 dependents were identified as having prion disease for an age-adjusted average annual incidence of 1.2 cases per million population. How does this finding inform clinical practice? Well, I think one main point regarding those numbers is that out of those 5,212 cases that were identified, only 10 of them were less than 30 years of age. And of those 10, only two had sporadic forms of human prion disease. So in terms of informing clinical practice, a provider suspecting prion disease in a very young patient should strongly consider the possibility of it being either a genetic form of the disease or there may be an exogenous source of exposure involved. And were there any patient characteristics that predicted prion disease or death from prion disease? 
Well, it's long been reported that prion diseases, especially the most common prion disease, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, or CJD, primarily affect the older population. In our study, just to drive that point home, the median age of death was 67 years of age. This is important to note due to the aging population in this country. So more cases in the coming years are expected as more people fall into the age group at greatest risk of disease. And what knowledge gaps would you say still exist regarding prion disease? Well, you mentioned that um, our study found 5,200 cases. Um, But I I think that the important thing to consider regarding that number, even though it might seem like a lot, is that it's over a 13-year time period, and that's for the entire United States. So in other words, there's a reasonable chance that a neurologist encountering a patient with a prion disease may have never actually diagnosed a case before. So we, we strongly encourage the submission of specimens to the National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center because the personnel there have such a high level of expertise. They see cases of prion disease on a daily basis. So certainly we defer to the experts there and, and highly encourage neurologists to, to involve the center in that diagnostic process. Unfortunately, in terms of treatment, there's no treatment available at this point. And so one focus of research now is to try to identify cases as early as possible, because certainly the earlier you can diagnose a case, uh, the more opportunities you may have for a treatment to be effective. That's obviously a very big challenge. Uh, And and neurologists, I think, typically are going to want to rule out more common treatable diseases before they start considering rare fatal ones like CJD. Uh, We also have noted knowledge gaps that that may exist in terms of the risk that these diseases pose to others. Uh, Unfortunately, out there, there's a certain amount of fear surrounding human prion disease, and that's not always supported by the scientific evidence. Absolutely. So overall, what would you say is the key take-home message from your study? Well, I can share two, actually. Um, I think one is if you're a neurologist who suspects prion disease, and, and I've stated this before, take advantage of the services provided by the NPD-PSE, the National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center. They can very accurately diagnose prion disease through a CSF specimen using a relatively new test called the RT-QUIC. If they have brain tissue, they can confirm the diagnosis and they can assess whether there are any unusual features that might suggest a novel prion disease. So certainly that's something we're all on the lookout for as well. The second take-home message is that at CDC, we unfortunately get calls fairly regularly from medical institutions who find themselves in a bit of a predicament when a patient who had undergone a surgical procedure is later diagnosed with a prion disease. And when this happens, there are implications in terms of possible patient exposures to the infectious agent. So we strongly encourage neurologists to maintain a high index of suspicion for prion disease whenever considering neurosurgery. Unless there's a definitive um, alternative diagnosis prior to the surgery, there are three things that they can do to save a lot of potential trouble later on. Uh, The first would be to use disposable instruments. The second would be to use one of the stringent sterilization methods outlined on the CDC website. And the third would be to consider quarantining the instruments until prion disease is no longer in the differential. You know, of course, the goal there being to avoid any situation where the infectious prion could remain on an instrument that is subsequently used on another patient, and that could be a source of transmission of the disease. So 
this may be a bigger problem in the future. I mentioned earlier that we have an aging population. With that, I think we can expect more cases of CJD and with that, potentially more people coming in for neurosurgical procedures. So as a result, we may see more infection control situations coming up. So that high index of suspicion before those neurosurgeries, I think, like I said, can potentially ward off some of those headaches that can occur as a result of potential patient transmission. What other research are you working on in this area? Um, I mentioned earlier regarding the prion center being a sentinel of sorts for novel prion diseases. And one such human prion disease of concern would be whether there could be a transmission of an animal prion disease known as chronic wasting disease, or CWD. Now, I mentioned BSE, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, mad cow disease, uh, whatever you want to call it earlier. Uh, that's a prion disease of cattle. Chronic wasting disease, or CWD, is an animal prion disease that affects cervid species, such as deer, elk, and moose. It's been found in the wild in 24 states in this country. We seem to find it in more counties every day. And by we, I mean wildlife agencies at the various states that are looking for the disease. And so certainly this is becoming more of an issue since no one knows for sure whether this disease can transmit to humans or not. It's concerning to us at CDC for three main reasons, the first of which is the rapid new identification of cases that I mentioned. 20 years ago, we only knew that it was in two states, Colorado and Wyoming. And like I said, it's been found in 22 states since. The second reason for concern is the previous example I gave of bovine spongiform encephalopathy transmitting to humans as the human prion disease variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, or VCJD. So we know that there's an animal prion disease in the past that has transmitted to humans. Now, there weren't very many cases in humans. However, the transmission did occur. The final main reason for concern is that there have been some scientific studies that have suggested a potential for transmission as well. The most notable one was conducted by Canadian and German researchers using macaques, which are genetically similar to humans. And this study was noteworthy because the macaques were fed skeletal tissue from deer that were asymptomatic but positive for chronic wasting disease. And these macaques came down with a prion-like disease. And so the results of that study still haven't been published. But from what we've heard of the study, certainly it's made us pay attention to those findings. Now, there's another study that has been published by the National Institutes of Health that did not find that transmission. Uh, they also looked at macaques and the potential for chronic wasting disease and did not find any transmission to those monkeys. So there's a little bit of a contradiction there. There are various possibilities for the different findings, but at the same time, the findings of the Canadian and German researchers were sufficient for us to, to pay attention, certainly, and consider that as a possible reason for concern. And so, so taking those three things into account at CDC, we're looking at the potential for human cases that, that may have been exposed to CWD in the past. And, and I can briefly mention two ways that we're doing that. The first is we are working in collaboration with the state health departments in Colorado and Wyoming 
to look at hunter license data and from that data looking at what hunters in those states are dying of and whether they're dying of human prion disease at a rate higher than what we'd expect in the general population. The second study that we have is in collaboration with Wisconsin's Department of Health, where we're looking at, again, people that were potentially exposed to chronic waste and disease, and again, seeing if anything unusual is occurring among that population. The key difference in that study is that these are people that we know actually consumed positive deer. And the reason we know is that the Wisconsin Department of Health will call the hunter with the positive test result. And when they tell the hunter that their deer tested positive, they'll ask if they consumed the deer. And if the hunter said, well, yes, actually I did, then that name's entered into their database and we can follow them up over time again to see whether there's a prion disease that occurs in that person. And so, so these studies are a way of monitoring this population of people that would be considered to be at maybe a higher risk and seeing if anything unusual is going on. And again, that's going on at the same time that we're working very closely with the National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center to see if they're detecting anything unusual in their brain tissue analyses that they perform on suspected human prion disease cases, just to make sure that if there is transmission occurring, that we can make note of that and take appropriate steps as necessary. Great. We'll definitely be on the lookout for those studies as well. Thank you again for speaking with me today and sharing your insights on your study. It was my pleasure. Thank you.